This is Irish Illustrated Insider. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley and Pete Sampson. It's Monday, November 15th. Notre Dame, two days removed from a 28-3 victory at Virginia, five days before the Irish conclude the home portion of the schedule against Georgia Tech in Notre Dame Stadium, senior day at Notre Dame. Um, guys, like the only real noteworthy news out of the game no no uh, injuries that uh brian kelly made us aware of anyway uh, from the game against virginia but we now know that kyle hamilton the injury is now being described as a six weeks injury which takes him through the regular season and we can positively now say that he will not be playing during the regular season and only really i mean if Nordy makes the playoffs i would imagine he would try to do that but otherwise um his career in Notre Dame is over. He'd certainly play if they make the playoffs. I, I believe that Kyle Hamilton would almost override any decisions to the contrary to play in a playoff game. And I would guess now that he would not override them to play in the Fiesta Bowl or Peach Bowl. And that, that's fair for his future. Uh, I think Brian Kelly would be disappointed if he didn't play in a playoff game. And I, it'd, be <laughs> tough, it'd, be, it'd be pretty tough for Kyle Hamilton to turn that down as well. Um, he's going to play football again, right? Playoff game is pretty uh, important. So quite a bit I think, of it. I, I think he would I think he would get into that game. But uh aside from that, I yeah, I think we've seen the last. Yeah, I, I mean Brian Kelly used the meniscus today in his description, which like he had not up to date, uh just been more like fat pad and kind of an obscure injury. Um, you know, meniscus makes sense. Um, you know, but it's it's a non-surgical recovery, you know, so this isn't a meniscus in the way that it was for Blake Fisher, where, it, you know, it's a long, more of a longer term uh, recovery, but a lot of healing that still has to go there. Um, I watched Kyle Hamilton try to jog off the field on Saturday night at Virginia. It's not, it is not fluid. Um, you know, it's not smooth yet. So, you know, it's, it's probably the first time that I've at least been able to see him try to do something mildly athletic and be like, Oh, okay. That's he's got a little bit of time to go here before he can actually do what he needs to do to play, to play football. Notre Dame comes away with a 28, three uh, victory at Virginia. It was as easy as expected without Brennan Armstrong in the lineup at quarterback for the Cavaliers uh, defense played great um, tapped into the depth. We're all kind of asking depth questions now that they're in November. Nordings better in November than they used to be. And uh, the depth certainly played a role with a bunch of young guys stepping forward. The game's drama went away Friday night, right? Like Pete and I found out in Virginia, when you're a DraftKings uh, subscriber, you cannot bet on Virginia football games. And we heard from many people that Brennan Armstrong wasn't going to play. And we were scrambling to find a way to uh, benefit <laughs> our new knowledge of sports and life, other than putting it on our message boards and on the athletic. So now, once he wasn't gonna be able to play, it was over. Um, and I, I actually, uh, a lot of questions were answered for me post game about the final score, the approach at the end of the half, and the and the second half when Brian Kelly talked about the flu. And you wonder why Isaiah Foskey wasn't running around the corner. He probably had the flu, and somebody else probably had the flu. And a lot of things going on when ten to thirteen players have the flu, and you're the head coach of a team, and you want to get out of there. Um, I think Tim, we talked post game like. Minute 16, timeouts, they can attack and score against Virginia, right? That's something maybe that was a little too conservative, but it's it's a different point of view when you find out what he was dealing with all week and what his thought process was to get out of there with the easy win. And the whole game had more of a 42 to 3 vibe than a 28 yeah. to 3 vibe. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like, you know, whether Jack Cohn is able to fall forward a little bit better on the first series or Tyler Buckner doesn't, you know, 
mess up the mesh point with Logan Diggs in the fourth quarter. I mean, those are, that's easy stuff. I mean, that wouldn't even get into the end of half situation where they're like, all right, let's just call it here and get to the halftime of 21 up. So, I mean, overall, it was a, it was a pretty mature performance from a, an immature team in this. And I say that in the sense of like, they're just young and inexperienced. Um, so I think that they're, they've been well-developed during the course of the season and, and are probably playing older um, than their classes would indicate. I guess the only thing, you know, you take over at your own 41 with seven minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Um, I don't know why you can't just run your offense and, and, and try to complete a, a, a 59 yard scoring drive. They, they used the play clock. They were, um, you know, they weren't signaling the play in until 15 seconds left on the play clock and they weren't snapping it until five seconds, but you know, we're nitpicking, but I, you know, I do think that in this, in this day and age, 2021, where it is a beauty contest when it comes to every Tuesday and the playoff committee votes, I think it is important to, um, you know, to collect some style points. I don't know why I use that phrase because I don't like it, uh, but that's the best way to describe it. But at the end of the day, look, they're going to get in. It's it's all going to depend upon what the teams ahead of them do. It, they're really... At that point, there really wasn't much Notre Dame could do to impress a committee more, and there certainly won't be enough against two, three, and seven teams, Georgia Tech and Stanford, to change any minds as far as where Notre Dame should be ranked. It's all up to what happens in the uh, seven spots. We assume they'll be number eight this week, the seven spots ahead of them in the college football playoff poll. I mean, I just don't think winning 42-3 to would have made any difference in the playoff poll. Like I the one thing as much as the committee takes crap and rightfully so, they do actually watch the games. So they know Virginia was absolutely zero threat to win. Um and that Notre Dame handled their business from the beginning of the game ended to the started to the when it ended. So you know it's not this isn't like um Cincinnati OU struggled against Navy situation or Oklahoma man that win against Kansas wasn't that impressive. Like this this cleared the threshold of Good win where you were in control. Yeah, also, yeah. Tim, you mentioned style points. It's also strange. Like, I mean, this was basically Notre Dame was completely in control of this game and blew out Virginia the whole time. And they were in a dog fight where they needed a Chris Tyree kick return touchdown to come back and go ahead of Wisconsin, but they beat Wisconsin by the same amount of points. It's a strange, yeah. strange no, style is. point year when people when you look at scores, it's just like look, Notre Dame and Michigan would be a great game, but does it matter that one team beat the other beat Wisconsin yeah, by more at not. certain points? It's, I, I, you know, I, I feel I may have overplayed it late Saturday night, uh, but I, I, it just kept the, the, the drive in the, and I don't want to dwell on this any further after I say this really, because it, it's really neither here nor there, but it was the last game where style points might matter. But then without Brennan Armstrong, it really didn't. Nordham did what they needed to do. And it's all, it's all up to, you know, just getting help, uh, it, what, really what it comes down to is that Notre Dame wasn't impre- impressive enough earlier in the season in, in their three-point wins and, and of course, the home loss to Cincinnati. But we move on from that because uh, it's really neither here nor there and probably wouldn't make a, a whole lot of difference. But what did make a difference was guys like uh, Ramon Henderson and Xavier Watts and Riley Mills and Prince Colley and a bunch of young guys that had opportunities on uh, on Saturday night and played pretty darn well. Yeah, I mean, Ramon Henderson, it's like, I didn't really have a sense of like whether that was going to shake out for Notre Dame or not. I mean, if, you know, it was kind of <laughs> a, la- a later take. 
um, played a bunch of different positions. And yeah, he was just like, he had a little kind of a natural football flow about him on Saturday night in a way that he hadn't shown at all this yeah, year. I mean, it I looked like, like a, it looked like a completely different player wearing number 11 on defense for Notre Dame. He was like leading the team in like penalties per snap um, before this, before this game. And then was, was incredibly productive. So it's, I just sort of see the rest of his career totally differently after Saturday night. I think um, not only Henderson's career, but Henderson gives me hope for the bowl game. I'm, I, I mean, I think safety just got upgraded. No, there's no if, doubt. If it's not a playoff game and Kyle Hamilton doesn't play, Ramon Henderson's a better safety prospect out there. That, And D.J. Brown is coming along. I think we just got to quit lumping the safeties, too. D.J. Brown, while he should be a reliable veteran backup safety next year and might start, He's a reliable veteran backup safety thrust into a starting role right now, right? He he does enough. He's out there, and Ramon Henderson credited DJ Brown for Henderson's pick. He said he told me where to go. That's yep. why I, he 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 made a he made a little move to allow Henderson to do it. He made his own interception. He's coming along. Henderson um, really seemed like he felt at home, especially since he found out he was moving to safety Monday while he had the flu. Thought that was an interesting part of the post game. Yeah, and then found out he was starting Tuesday. It's it's a tough and one. I- you know, okay, we've now seen Xavier Watts for two games, and we know that he loves playing. You know, he covers a lot of ground. You know, when he gets to the ball, he's going to hit somebody. Um, you you know, he, you know, his effort's going to be top notch every step of the way. I, <laughs> there's a lot to like there, and and I don't, you know, I don't. I, last week I said, well, you can't judge it based upon one late game performance against triple option football. We have to see him against. A conventional offense. Now, again, it wasn't Brennan Armstrong and Brennan Armstrong. Yeah. I've seen the sentiment expressed that, well, even if he had played Virginia, wasn't going to score more than however many points, there's just no way of knowing that. And that's underestimating how good Brennan Armstrong is and how good that receiving core is with Brennan Armstrong. Uh, But Watts's Watts's physical abilities and desire to play and hit somebody is unmistakable. I totaled up Watts snaps played divided by tackles. Do you know how many snap, how many snaps it takes for him to average one tackle? Like he makes a tackle every how many snaps? How many snaps has he had? I I can't answer. 3.1. He makes a tackle every 3.1 snaps, which is completely ridiculous, even for a small sample size. Um, So yeah, a lot happening there. No doubt. Look good. Riley Mills look good playing a defensive end position. I wonder if they continue, you know, a lot is dependent upon, I don't think they'll move him from defensive tackle, but you might want to go ahead and cross train him because he looked better in space. To me, it's very simple watching Riley Mills all season. If he uses his hands and he moves his feet, he's hard to contain. If he doesn't do either one of those things, he's easily blocked. I I think we've seen that all season. They might move him. When you, lose I, you know, you I don't could, mean this year. You 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 have Myron coming back, so I don't mean right now. Right? right now, no, I understand that. Yeah. yeah, I mean maybe you can maybe cross train. A lot depends upon Jason Adamalola. If he comes back, then you have the you mm-hmm. have the luxury of at least right. cross training him. Um, but yeah, almost I would almost move him automatically if Justin Adamiola comes. I mean Jason Adamiola comes back because that's a starting defensive tackle, and Jay, and Jacob Lacey's a good backup defensive tackle. Then right. That's true, and you have have elevated into a starting role, right? And you have Gabe Rubio coming on, coming up. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't know how far along he is, but uh, no, that's all good stuff. I thought, I thought the depth. I tried to to 
Gib Brian Kelly talked about the depth and, you know, that was Elko, right? That was Elko that came in and, and brought in the philosophy of we need to play more football players. And of course, Clark Lee followed that up and Marcus Freeman has done the same thing. And, and Brian Kelly said that their success in November is more tied to an upgrade in talent, which I would agree, but it certainly is also tied into just a concerted effort to have greater depth on a weekly basis. I mean, I would say that the they're not incredibly talented on defense right now. So like what they're doing defensively with playing more guys, I think is more remarkable because I think you're overestimating Notre Dame's sort of raw material. If you sort of look at this defense and be like, well, of course they should be, they should be great. Um, because certainly without Kyle Hamilton, I mean, the, the back seven is not, not a bunch of world beaters back there, but they're, they play incredibly well together. And that's, that's good coaching and good development. It's an awfully good defensive front four, though. Front three, four. Oh, yeah. Yes. Coming into the year, we knew this defense was going to be deep and good. But now, if the point to Brian Kelly made about recruiting, every coach for since so at least 30 years has wanted to play as, as many defensive linemen as you could throw out there that are good, that helps because it's hard to stay fresh on the defensive line. But if you're throwing in bad players, it doesn't do you any good. What Pete's old stat about Isaac Rochelle and Sheldon Day playing more snaps than the game had snaps. <laughs> In 2015, on a Fiesta Bowl team, is is really uh, important to bring up every once in a while because you couldn't take him out. Right? There was right. no way you could take out Isaac Rochelle. But if you had, Ryan you were Mills, taking out Pippen at that point. <laughs> yes, the Scotty Pippen analogy works. So you were absolutely taking out Scotty Pippen if you put in Brandon Tiasum for Isaac Rochelle, my favorite whipping boy, Brandon Tiasum. Segment two coming up: burning up the boards. Looking for a gift for the Notre Dame fan on your holiday shopping list? Help them commemorate their first Notre Dame game or loyalty to the Fighting Irish with a Notre Dame Football Heritage Project certificate. Your donation, $5 minimum, will help the Araparsegian Medical Research Fund and the Notre Dame Galavan Journalism Program. Visit ndcertificate.com to learn more. Segment two, burning up the boards. We start with a question from Terry Benedict. Are we rooting for Cincinnati or against them and... Samson, you've got a uh, simple formula here to to share, I, and and you have already, but go for it. It's uh, if Cincinnati does not make the playoff, they are going to the Fiesta Bowl because the Fiesta Bowl is contracted to take the top group of five rated team this season. So, if you're rooting for Notre Dame to make the playoff, it's probably a different question there, but that outlines the Fiesta or Peach. I'm still in the camp like Notre Dame is better off if Cincinnati drops than if they go i think notre dame and cincinnati going together is very very difficult notre dame going in place of cincinnati is more reasonable and cincinnati not playing all that well lately they have smu and they have houston to come um would not blow me away if they lost one of those and somehow notre dame ended up ahead of them and and just describe your scenario if georgia cincinnati and ohio state make the playoffs, which is very feasible and that, as it relates it, to Notre Dame getting in. Yeah. In that world, it's it, Oregon um, and Utah play twice. You need a split there. Oklahoma and Oklahoma state play twice. You need a split there. At that point, Notre Dame has a path to make it. Um, but if, if either of those, if Oregon wins out, they're going or if Oklahoma or Oklahoma State sweeps the other to win out, 
that team would go over Notre Dame as well. So it's like you're you're hoping for a little bit of uh, split success in those groups. And then, I mean, the Big Ten is still up for grabs. If if Michigan State won this weekend, um, we would again sort of re-engineer Notre Dame's chances of making it. Right. That's a three. That's a three touchdown underdog rising up and winning. But it's not. It's not impossible. I think. Ohio State probably had enough of their scares where they were playing not great football in that yeah. Yeah, couple of weeks think, ago, and now they're now they're <laughs> rolling a little bit. Um, yeah, and it's it's also there's a chance Oklahoma loses again because um, they're not that good, and they play Iowa State as a four point favorite. I wouldn't think Oklahoma State would lose at Texas Tech, but you know Texas Tech is capable, and Oklahoma State's are just like some of the other teams from five through twelve. They're just kind of the same. And I not wouldn't great, think not great at football, but pretty good. Yeah, I wouldn't think. Uh... Oklahoma State sweeps Oklahoma, but vice versa would would seem a little bit more feasible just because they're just because they're Oklahoma. But we'll see. That's Notre Dame. Just you got Georgia Tech, and 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 that's really the only thing that that they can be thinking about right now because so much has to happen in front of them. Question from Irish four twenty five: Are Ramon Henderson and Xavier Watts going to timeshare as a starting safety opposite DJ Brown moving forward? I don't think so, but Ramon Henderson played more snaps than Houston Griffith and DJ Brown played more snaps than Houston Griffith and Houston Griffith started the game. Um, they have to keep Houston Griffith engaged because Henderson and DJ Brown are not major bowl level safeties yet. You need some rotation in there, right? I mean, Notre Dame is playing terrible football teams right now while these guys are getting better. They're playing bad football teams. <laughs> Houston Griffith is not as good as DJ Brown or Ramon Henderson, in my opinion. But Notre Dame, they're not out there beating the team they're going to play in the bowl game. You don't think right. Ramon Henderson and DJ Brown are going to be challenging, or Xavier Watts in coverage is going to be challenging a bowl game against Michigan or Michigan State? I, I, this, is, I still, this is Virginia I, with no quarterback. No, agreed. But you'd still like to see them three weeks from now as they continue to, to work under Chris O'Leary and uh, Kerry Cooks. And Mike Mickens, I asked Brian Kelly about that, and he mentioned all three guys. Man, we just can't get any love for Chris O'Leary. As soon as you bring him up, oh. as the safeties are playing well, it's two other guys that are mentioned about development. <laughs> and I get it because he's a young coach, and having Kerry Cooks back there is absolutely invaluable to him, yeah. there's no doubt. I feel like I'm banging a drum for Houston Griffith on the, on the because everybody's like, why isn't he benched? Why isn't he benched? I am the last guy to bang a drum for Houston Griffith. I'm telling what's going to happen. He's not getting benched by Brian Kelly on senior day or against Stanford. No, it's, and that's not going to happen. No, and he, and he shouldn't because he's not killing them. He's no, just, he just occupying a spot. <laughs> right. Right. He'll just continue to rotate, but like the proportions of that rotation will probably change and it might look more like it looked at Virginia. Yeah, and that's a good thing. I mean, it's a good thing for the present. It's a good thing for the, the balance of this season. And it's a really good thing moving forward because suddenly, amazingly, as you look at the safety position and you think DJ Brown, Xavier Watts, Ramon Henderson next year, you know, <clears throat> and it, I mean, uh, most of it is based upon the fact that Ramon Henderson moved to safety this past weekend. Sure. And looked like a looked like a legitimate safety, and will continue to. He just looked more comfortable and relaxed. Plus, Justin Walters will be in Ramon Henderson's position next year. He'll be a redshirt freshman that no one watched play at all this year. Basically, we, Ramon Henderson last year at this time was not feasible as a starting safety in November of this year. Justin Walters will have all that time to grow too. It's just it takes time if you're not Kyle Hamilton, right? Yep. 
That's next from Denver Maximus. Do you guys feel confident going to next season with Diggs, not Tyree, as potentially the predominant back? Man, I don't. I don't think there's any doubt about it. I, it's we're beyond small sample size now, um, and Logan Diggs makes plays, and Chris Tyree can't run through a tackle. And this, you know, this kind of goes back to, you know, where Tyree was rated during recruiting, and everybody's saying, oh, well, they, you know, they don't want to rate him higher because he's you know, committed to Notre Dame and all that. No, it's because he was small and he's not strong and he can't run through a tackle. And uh, Logan Diggs does it regularly. You still need Chris Tyree, but I think clearly uh, moving forward, or at least up to this stage, Logan Diggs is is much more of a guy that you can count on for, uh, you know, 12, 15 carries next year uh, per game. I mean, Logan Diggs is a, I don't want to say he's a shock to me because like, a bunch of people told us in the preseason that he was going to be really good, but I didn't think it was going to be this good. I mean, the the fact that he hurdled somebody in a college football game is completely ridiculous to me. So that's, I you know, uh, a Diggs one, Tyree one A, great. You need more than one back. Um, Notre Dame would, would still have two really good backs next year. I, I put this out on the film review last week. Um, I think Logan Diggs is – going to be the lead back next year, but Chris Tyree is also running through a turf toe. You're not going to see real right. Chris Tyree again until the spring. No, but um, he could, he, he couldn't run through a tackle before the turf. He could toe, not, really. he could not, but Chris Tyree also only played football this year behind the world's worst offensive line no, and, right. or injured or injured. So I, I do want to re reevaluate Tyree. Maybe, maybe you see something about a Tyree in the bowl game. Remember they tried to feature Chris Tyree a little in that bowl game against Alabama. Right. Um, I, I think there's more to Chris Tyree than we've seen, but Logan Diggs is a, oh, he's a, He's going to get a lot better too. Diggs isn't done getting better. <laughs> no, there's no doubt. But remember, you Tim, you were the one that had the stat about yards after contact yeah. last year. Sure. With Tyree sure. and Williams, and Tyree barely had. He was way behind after. Flemister and Kyron right. Williams for right. that. Right. So, it just right not, now he's hurt, you know, and it's it's yeah, kind of right. hard. To, I'm not yeah. I'm not trying to bury Chris Tyree. Yeah. They need him. He's explosive. He's the fastest, he's one of the two fastest players on the team probably, and they need him. But we're talking about, I mean, the question is who's number one back and who's the every down, who's the guy that can carry 15, 20 times a game? It, it's Diggs. It's not Tyree. Yeah. Maybe Diggs is, looks special to us and Tyree looks like he's, yeah. we shouldn't judge him right and, now. He's better than this. And, I mean, I, I really, you know, next year you want to see Audric Estime playing a role because that's a, that's a big back, that's a pounder. And, and Diggs is certainly capable of being a pounder, but him and Williams both have that. They want to pop it outside whenever there's any doubt. Uh, and it's nice to, it'd be nice to have an established Audric Estime that, you know, can, you know, he's, he's going to pound it between the tackles and that pays, you know, over the course of a game that pays dividends as opposed to always bouncing it outside. Somewhat related question, Bill O'Sullivan. Oh, I believe this is the best running back room at Notre Dame since Tony Brooks, Ricky Waters and Jerome Bettis. Do you agree? I don't know. I mean, I, I go back to 2015 with Adams and um, Procise and healthy Dexter Fulston. Williams. And, and healthy Fulston. Right. Yeah. At one so, point, he was the starter. Yeah. The 1990, we're, I mean, good yeah. Lord. Well, we're, I get we're, we're talking about, we're talking about, I mean, Ricky Waters. You're talking and, about an NFL Hall of Famer, are, yes. an almost NFL Hall of Famer, and the leading rusher on the, on the right. national championship team. Yeah, yeah. Um, Kinder Edwards and Denson were also a really good trio. 
right after that in there or not right after that, but for Lou Holtz, that was a really good backfield considering Denson leads the program, the history of the program yeah. in yards. Yeah. And uh, I think Kinder's over 2000 and Edwards was probably the best player for one year. Yeah. And if Kinder had been just a little bit more elusive, he, he was a yeah. one cut guy. If he'd been a little bit more elusive, he would have been spectacular. I was so over the top in college or not. I'm sorry. Yeah. In college about how much more I like Becton because of his elusiveness than Kinder. Then you look up and Kinder, you're like, how did he get 2,400 yards rushing at Notre Dame? Because he was so it's damn good. fast. That's how. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, yeah. It's a lot of yards, man. Best since 15. I mean, I get it. Kyron Williams is really good. Like outstanding. Norm's also averaging 145 yards rushing per game. So it's, I, I have a hard time going above and beyond like, this greatness talk about this backfield just based on the production. They're fun to watch. That's why these questions are coming. Oh yeah. Like Kyron Williams is all time top five fun to watch. Logan Diggs is such a surprise fun to watch. You want to group him right away as another one. And then when Tyree gets a crease against Wisconsin, he goes 94 yards and it's, you know, there's a kickoff return, but it was still awesome. Right. So there's a lot of fun to watch. I think with these guys. Question from J R I X 68. Suppose you are the coach of pretty good, ACC team like North Carolina, <clears throat> excuse me, Wake Forest or Virginia, and you have a year's worth of tape of Mike Elston's defensive lines wrecking the game against ACC teams. How long would it take before a light bulb went off that maybe you should try to hire Elston to be your defensive coordinator to try to have him do that against other ACC teams? I think he'd be a really good defensive coordinator in the ACC. I think those schools would probably be a good level, right? Yeah. To, to yeah. have a first-time defensive coordinator. Um, I don't know about North Carolina, just based on I don't know how long Mac Brown is going to be there, but you know, Wake Forest, Virginia, I think those might be smart locations to look at him and for him to look at them. And Virginia, can, Virginia, North Carolina can get the talent in he would want. Um, Wake, yeah. Yeah, has a complimentary offense. So of those good. three, Virginia might be the one that I would be most interested in. Um, you know, based on you got a, a good head coach who's not going anywhere for a while, and you yeah. can get a bunch of people into school. Well, regardless how long Mac Brown's around in North Carolina, you know how I feel about North Carolina's defensive coordinator. So Jay, Jay Bateman is that's just a they had 10 starters <laughs> returning on defense, and their secondary, no matter how many games they play, does not get better. And the safeties are atrocious, as I always like to say. But you know, my I I, I I've got to always get that in, right? I got to say, yeah, it's yes. it's still it's still important a month later how bad their safeties. It is, are it is, it is. Um, you know, Mike Elson has proven himself to be a top notch, top notch defensive line coach. Does that translate to defensive coordinator? I think that's that's always been what has prevented him from moving up. But we know he's a you know, he's a real quality defensive line coach, and I would imagine that he's, at this stage of his career, is quite capable of being, you know, a, 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 yeah. a, go, a good defensive coordinator. Now, you know, I understand why Brian Kelly might not want to pull the trigger for that because of his lack of experience doing it. But he's come a long way as an assistant coach, and he's a hell of a defensive line coach. He's a great defensive line coach, and, I mean, it's pretty important that, like – if you look at next year, no, you know, Notre Dame making a run in 2022 and 2023, you want, obviously you got like Foskey, the guys that could come back, like Isaiah Foskey, Jason Adamiola. I mean, at what point do you just get to Mike Elston and say, you really need Mike Elston to come back for these next two years too. Right. 
I mean, he yeah, has absolutely. a machine going on there right now. He does. No, it's... there's no doubt. No, and he, you know, but but he was not pushing to develop depth until Mike Elko came in in 2017 and established it, which is why I asked, you know, Brian Kelly that question because, and Brian Kelly was not pushing to, for more depth and playing more guys until Mike Elko came in. And thank goodness he did because Clark Lee picked it up. And, uh, you know, again, I, I just. Freeman believes in it too. He talks about 1A and 1B. We want all. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, yeah. No doubt. No doubt. And I, and I think that that's, I mean, I think that's becoming pretty universal within college football. I'm not, you know, certainly the, the mid to lower level power five teams don't have the necessarily the luxury to do that. And if they do, they get, you know, they get burned a little bit at times, but you almost have to, you almost have to just get other guys out there early in the season. I can remember when Elko would do it, you know, like he put in a, or, you know, they bring in a second line on the second series of the game. And it's like, really, is it necessary to go ahead and bring those guys in now? That was my remember, reaction four years ago. I remember MTA and Heinish playing as freshmen against yeah, Georgia right. in 2017. Right. Like, what are they doing? Like, <laughs> insane. It's um, offending your delicate sensibilities. Yeah. But you it's like, I mean, the defensive line is just so different than every other position. Like, yeah. Kyle, like Kyle Hamilton does not need to rotate at safety. Jeremiah Wusu Kormo does not need to rotate right. at linebacker. However, Jerry Tillery, Julian Aquara, Isaiah Foskey, whoever has to rotate a defensive line. It's just the, the position you cannot play a hundred percent on a hundred percent of the snaps. Yeah. And I would argue that, that, you know, the, the Mike and the will linebackers are, you know, borderline. You can't have them out there every snap either. And if you do. And they used to. They yeah. Did. Well, Coney and Tranquil had the, had the ridiculous stats. Remember uh, yeah. until they decided we have to get them arrests. Well, I mean, White, White and Bertrand are getting most of the snaps. Well, that, Bertrand that, has to. Um, White's, White gets subbed out a lot. I mean, White yeah, yeah, no, power plays plenty. Yeah, well, no, I mean, we're, see, we're seeing the negative impact on Bertrand, right? Like, yeah. he's, you see him, a guy playing too much, too many snaps, and you get to November, like, man, it just doesn't look like the same as the guy we saw in no, September. No doubt. No doubt. No doubt. Go fight, win, go Irish. Would you have played Tyler Buckner more in this game, especially early on when the offense got off to another slow start? What was the slow start they got off to? Did somebody remind me? I, Fumble, I mean, probably. yeah. I mean, they had a fourth and one. They were they were almost in the red zone. I mean, I guess slow start from the standpoint they didn't score points right out of the gate, but uh, and they scored a touchdown on their second drive. I, I'm sorry, Tim. Is, and and their third and their fourth. Third and their fourth. I I guess my, you know, I guess that I I thought the time to bring Buckner in was when. Um, when Cone threw the interception, followed by a three and out, but they brought Cone back out, and it was a five-play, sixty-one-yard touchdown drive in the third quarter. So, you know, I, that that to me, that situation screamed to get Buckner in, but it proved unnecessary because Cone uh, and I think Diggs was—I'm not sure if it was Diggs or Williams in that series—but they did march down and score a touchdown. I think they continued to grow in how to use it. Um, maybe it was another game where I was like, "Oh, haven't seen a lot of Buckner yet," and then. You know, that feel, but it's not like it was a major sticking point for me. I think we might want to see a little more Tyler Buckner on fourth and one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was the not the same. best looking sneak I have seen from a fifth year senior who, by the way, used to play under center his whole yeah, career. He, yeah. He got undercut pretty quickly on that. Yeah. I, I thought same thing, but okay, you're going to go for, it. but I think they were, they were trying to hurry and get it snapped. Yeah. And, yeah. 
And, yes, uh, and I love that. I love that tactic. No, I, I do too. And and which game was it? USC or North Carolina, where uh, Cone had two. He did short yardage conversions. Yes. Uh, but uh, was it was it Jackson? Was it Nick Jackson that came over the top on the fourth and one? Uh, but Tyler Buckner's that, so strong. Did, you know he's a really right, strong running right, quarterback. Right. But did you think Buckner would play more before the fourth quarter when he had two full series? Yeah, because they've been working them in. They've been, they've been doing a good job of working them in. Yeah, I think they'll continue to do a good job. But of again, when you when you score in your second, third, and fourth drives, right. it makes it a little bit more difficult. Uh, I, I again, I think we're we're kind of nitpicking here a little bit. Uh, the notion <laughs> that that you, um, I think it was on Twitter. I didn't use this question, but you know, why aren't they playing Butner more now? How are they going to beat Ohio State next year if he isn't getting playing time now? And I and I just. It's just the reality of that is that coaches don't think a whole lot about September of the following year when you're when it's November, you're on the road, you're playing at night, and you're trying to secure a playoff spot. I mean, Buckner's 17 snaps were his third most in a game this season. Yeah, it's all at the end. When you get seven in a row at the end, you know, it's people do. I get I get it. People want to see Buckner. <laughs> I understand it. And Notre Dame hasn't scored a lot of their opening drive, even though they scored on their second, third, and fourth drive. So people are looking for – it's been, what, they, at the first – what was the first five games they scored three times in their opening drive, and then it started slowing down. And it's just – people want perfection, and they're not going to get it. Well, they've been moving it. I mean, yep. they moved. They yep. moved it. They certainly moved it against Cincinnati too, but – uh, you know, I get it. I, I mean, because they're not because they're not undefeated, and the playoffs look like a long shot. A lot of people are turning the page on the quarterback position, and I just head coaches just they don't generally think like that. They don't want to sacrifice wins now for potential wins later. It's just it's not how head coaches generally are wired, especially those that still have a shot at a playoff bid. Next from MTFL Smitty, as you reported, an unusual number of underclassmen are getting opportunities and making real contributions. Please offer your point of view on what this says about the state of the program. Um, I mean, I think a couple of things that we've already kind of hit on that they're, they're trying to develop depth and they have a freshman class where, and Brian Kelly said it today, that they have some freshmen that weren't ready to play early in the year, but they are now. And it's, you know, it's kind of a combination. Are, are they ready to play or do you need them to play? And there's some, some gray area in there. And, and it's, it's, it's probably both. They needed they need some uh, freshmen and redshirt freshmen as they get into November, playing a more significant role. It's uh, I, I think it's been sort of the the story of the season to me, aside from just winning 10, 11 games, is how they've gotten better while also getting younger at the same time. That's almost impossible to do. So I um, think it goes back to what we talked about I think earlier in the pod. It's just it's good. Coaching, it's good development, it's good organization, um, and some good, good freshmen. It's good recruiting. Yeah, it's just a yeah. good, it's a good operation right now. Um, I think so. It, it was it say about the program? It just is a, a huge compliment for it. Yeah, I think good freshmen is number one. Number two is the injuries in front of them helped, right? Mm -hmm. The wide receivers that were they lost Avery Davis, they lost Joe Wilkins, they didn't have any other players in the position. <laughs> they literally have to play the wide receivers that are freshmen. Um, Logan Diggs just. If he got an opportunity and boy, Sebo gave him an Sebo gave him an opening and Tyree gave him an opening, and that's all she wrote this situation because yeah, gave the wrong guy an opening there. Yeah, it's like, like I mean, Joe Joe Wall, ideally, we would not be talking about him at all, but he'd still be a freshman starting left tackle, yeah. which would be kind of cool too. And Blake Fisher, yeah, 
And, and I, you know, who were we talking about? I was talking about Spindler <laughs> going in, you know, I mean, coming out when yeah. they signed the class. Uh, and, they went and, older at left guard. They went. Yeah, and, and we, knew, it, we knew that. I mean, we knew that Alt had excellent long-term potential, and we knew that Fisher had excellent long-term potential. Probably at guard, didn't realize that he was going to come in in the spring and be pretty freakish of, as a left tackle. But I think it says a lot of things. But first and foremost, um, some good freshman players that are really developing. A underscore Weaver MD, what's been more surprising, the secondary's play without Kyle Hamilton or the offensive line's resurgence? Both I, surprising. They are yeah. both surprising. Good they've question. Had, I went, I went back people. and forth on this. I, I settled on the offensive line because I feel like you can sort of hide a secondary, especially in safety, with a good defensive line, which Notre Dame obviously has. You cannot hide a bad offensive line. It is exposed on every damn snap of the game. Um, and so the fact that they're now a good offensive line while get while going to uh, true freshman and alt and Christophe, who's been here, um, that's that's very surprising to me. Because like I, I'm sure that I said more than once, this offensive line is not going to get better very much the rest of the season. And holy, they, they have gotten a lot, lot better. I'm with you on the offensive line. Um, I was with you that they wouldn't get that much better either. <laughs> They've yeah. gotten much better. Uh, the secondary without taking anything away from them, because if you told me, all right, Kyle Hamilton is going to miss the North Carolina game and the US, the USC game other than their first drive. I'd be like, Oh, okay. That before the season, but that's, there's a loss right there. Yes, for sure. Um, now Kyle Hamilton's last two games, he missed had quarterbacks that cannot throw the ball better than anyone on Notre Dame's roster. So that has helped the secondary yeah, a little yeah. bit. It's going to look a little different in the bowl game if with the second. I just that's why Ramon Henderson getting better is is impressive to me because they are going to play. Their last month is awful, awful offenses unless Jeff Sims gets hot and he's healthy. You're standing by or you don't want to see Ohio State in a bowl game. <laughs> Be a poor choice. You never play Ohio State in a bowl game. It's not a playoff game. That's it's a rule to live by, right there. And at, you know, in the early weeks, my regrets for saying eleven and one, I had regret after regret after regret, <laughs> but hung in there and was asked recently whether I it would they whether it would be eleven and one or ten and two, even without Kyle Hamilton, and I think I got lucky. I think well, you're, I got, you're pretty safe right now. Well, you I guys, think so. You guys think watched so. a lot of Stanford football recently. But, uh, yeah, and you know Brian Kelly talked about Georgia Tech, and he's right. They do have they have a bunch of good athletes, but they don't have a very good football team. It's, there's a lot of that going around with USC and North Carolina and Virginia and Georgia Tech on this. I mean, Virginia had really good athletes with Brennan Armstrong. They had that's a tough yeah. team to stop. I agree. Next from Beachy Troy, I believe Notre Dame would beat every team in front of them in the college football playoff rankings. I was selling them out a little bit. He didn't say that. I believe they beat every team in front of them in the college football playoff rankings besides Georgia, Alabama, and Ohio State. I think they'd win a rematch with Cincinnati and beat Michigan, Michigan State, Oregon, and even the Oklahomans. Do you agree? He, I just tried to ahead. shock everybody there by saying yeah, they beat everybody. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I agree with the first part, the Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State exception. Um, I do think they would beat Cincinnati if they played again. Cincinnati is also pretty banged up and on top of not playing that well. Those two things probably go together. Um, I think they're set up to beat Michigan. Um, I think they're set up to beat Michigan State. They're definitely set up to beat Oregon. Yeah. Uh, 
Oklahoma, I think, would be a bad matchup because of some of the secondary issues that we talked about. Uh, and Oklahoma State's offense is actually really bad. So I I would give them a very good shot to beat all of those teams. But I, even though Oklahoma is probably playing the worst of those six, I think Oklahoma would probably be the worst matchup for this Notre Dame team. I've said this on a message board, and I know how unpopular it is when you say it, but I would be concerned about a matchup with Michigan. I want, I would like to see a matchup with Michigan. I would be concerned about that just because not that Notre Dame's not physical, but the overall physicality of Michigan impresses me. It just does. I don't, when I watch Michigan play, I don't look at it with a bias against Michigan. I look at a football team in a football uniform playing. And I think that their physicality is really, really impressive. I agree with Priester on that. Um, I will limit my Michigan praise by saying I agree with Priester, <laughs> Priester wholeheartedly on that. Um, they would beat Oregon and I, Michigan State would be a fun game. I mean, you talk about secondary oh, yeah. concerns. If you don't want to get a whole lot of that guy running through your second level of, without Kyle Hamilton there. So if Kyle, ha- let's let Kyle Hamilton play in these games. Is that possible? Because that I'm not as worried about some of the situations, but if he doesn't play, you're facing a lot of really good teams that can beat you. I do think they'd beat Cincy in a rematch, um, but I want to give credit to the, what has happened so far. Cincinnati, Oregon, Oregon is an amazing win. I don't care when it happened, right? That is a great win. Otherwise, we, what are we doing? Oregon went out and won in Columbus, Ohio. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Come on. What if Notre Dame won in Columbus, Ohio and blew a game because they were missing their defensive coordinator next year in October? And then we were holding that against them as a terrible loss because that's what Oregon's loss is. They had no Joe Moorhead. They lost to a bad team that was okay that day, and they won in Columbus, Ohio. I, I, no, I hear you. I understand that. And think about this. The only way that Kyle Hamilton plays again for Notre Dame is if they're in the playoffs. And if they're in the playoffs, they're playing Georgia. But you don't have to ruin like, everything yeah. you do here when you talk about this. <laughs> Just, just a little, just a little reality check there for, uh, for the uh, those aspiring for a spot in the playoffs. And I get it. That's that's the whole goal. I don't think it will ultimately happen, but if it does, that's the reality of it. Mister Joe Seiler, I remember people speaking highly of Georgia Tech before the season started. What changed? Who are their biggest threats and best players? I spoke highly of them in, I think I rated the possible upsets and it was Virginia. Like USC wasn't an upset. Okay. USC, North Carolina were an upset. So I think it was Virginia, Virginia tech, Georgia tech, Florida state. So that would be kind of where I spoke highly of them. I like their backfield and I liked their backfield in that game last year. I know they had a huge fumble recovery that went the distance that turned that game around and changed things early, but uh, they're just not as good as a whole team as I thought they might have uh, with Jeff Collins. I just, I don't remember being high on them at all in the preseason. I mean, it was like the games you mentioned, Wisconsin, Cincinnati, North Carolina, USC. Those were the four (laughs) toughest ones to me. The next year was Virginia, Florida state, and tech, probably, I think right? I probably thought Stanford was going to be better than Georgia Tech, yeah. uh, which they actually might still be. Um, I, I don't know. There was nothing about Georgia Tech other than Sims and Gibbs last year that I came away thinking like, wow, good team here. Um, it just felt like a two-man show. And I don't know, Jeff Collins is a little bit interesting. Not my cup of tea as a coach. Why is, why is that? 
Oh, I his commentary last year about oh, college football is really going to be a, afraid of Georgia Tech while you're oh. <clears throat> rebuilt. I was just like, what are you talking about? It's a, it's like a less charming PJ Fleck to me. <laughs> well, Jameer Gibbs is oh. a <laughs> Jameer Gibbs is a great running back. Brian Kelly said he player of the year in the ACC. Yes, he's outstanding. Uh, yeah, he's really great, and he, uh, I mean, he has. I mean, check out his number. He has 687 yards rushing, which is reflective of the Georgia Tech team and offense. Otherwise, it would be more. But he he leads the team in in receiving yards with 469. He is a. This is what when I saw him last year in preparation for the Georgia Tech game, I just I couldn't believe how good he was as a true freshman. So he has combined for. Uh, more than 1,100 yards rushing and receiving. He's a great player. Jeff Sims was hurt, the quarterback, last week. Jordan Mason is a, um, a another quality running back that unfortunately was on the roster when Jameer Gibbs came in, and, and Gibbs moved ahead of him. You know, they have, they have skill position talent. They had that last year. Uh, but here's my weekly rundown of awful defensive stats, brought to you by Irish Illustrated. <laughs> By the 2021 season. Yes, 114th in total defense, 125th in yards per passing attempt, 117th in pass defense, upper 90s in scoring defense and rushing defense, horrible on third down defense, uh, giving up significant chunk yardage plays. That's Georgia Tech. And middle of the and and offensively middle of the pack in 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 pretty much everything that they do, even rushing with a with a great uh, with a great running back. By the way, this keeps happening to my brain when someone says all ACC or best in the ACC. I got an email a couple of weeks ago that listed the best players by position in the ACC because we signed up for those last year, of course. And it was after the North Carolina game, and it didn't have Kyron Williams, and I was infuriated that Kyron Williams wasn't the running back of the week. <laughs> In the ACC, and then it took me five seconds to realize before sending an angry email that he's not in the ACC. <laughs> and when Karen Kelly said that today, it took me a second. I'm like, why would you say that about? Oh, Kyron Williams is in the ACC. So, we yeah. lost our we yeah. lost our vote. They they we lost our they, vote. I can't vote on anything. They didn't. So they didn't ask us if we wanted to to vote this year again. No, I have some All American votes. I want to get campaign for Kyron here as my third running back. I think. All right, we're going to wrap it up with a question from Irish Fan 102. Has Notre Dame football become boring? They've beaten 40 unranked teams in a row, yet are still a notch below the top three or four teams. How does the consistency as good but not championship-level football impact your viewership? Mostly great, but very predictable. Jack, we can – our viewership is up, so that's not, that's, uh, that's not an issue, despite the boredom that Notre Dame is creating by – being on pace to win 55 games in five years. I mean, look, winning is good for business. Um, that's, that's true across the board. People want to read and listen to and watch videos about winning teams. I, I don't know. I, I don't find what they're doing boring at all because I, I almost would find it boring if there it was more like the Clemson model from a few years ago where every ACC game Notre Dame played was like 50 to 7. That would be that would be a little bit boring to me, but Notre Dame isn't so far out there in its talent level that it's doing that to people. So I don't know. I, to be in the what do we we talked about this many times? Like good seasons usually. If you're in the playoff conversation in November, you probably had a good yeah. season. Notre Dame's in the playoff conversation in November yet again. I 
I love the college football regular season. So I am not bored at all because they're in the playoff conversation. I don't see how anybody can get bored until you've had three losses and you're starting to look to next year. And if you have three losses, you're looking, if there have been three losses going to this November with the schedule of November, then I'd be like, I can see how people be like, Oh gosh, this is like a six and three Notre Dame limping into November and playing Navy, Virginia, Georgia tech and Stanford. That is not what you normally think of Notre Dame football. Right. But they are a fringe playoff team. It should be playing a major program in the Fiesta Bowl or, or Peach Bowl. I'm going to keep saying Fiesta Bowl first, no matter what Pete Sampson tells me, because ah, they, have a, they have a candle we, back in. But here's another way to look at it. We haven't covered a boring Notre Dame football season since 2014. And that they've was not boring. Really interesting. That, they've 14 all been really was not boring. And, and I'd say 13, because oh, 13 was well, it did, 13 was fun. They didn't start out yeah. boring, no. no. Yeah, right, no. okay. 2013 yeah. was the last boring season okay. that we covered. Okay. Yes, it was. And, 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 and I, I won't I won't take any arguments again. 2013 being boring. So it was totally boring. <laughs> and O'Malley, you said, you know, if they were entering November with three losses, they, they've only entered November with two losses once in the last five seasons. Yeah. And it's, oh. I mean, even that 14 team, just I want to keep sticking up for that team because it was fun for a while when Pete, Pete Sampson, Tim Priester, and I were on the sidelines thinking to ourselves, can't believe we're going to be covering a playoff game. And then all of a sudden a little yellow flag came out and everything went haywire. But that, that was really fun. I mean, they were in Arizona yeah. state. Think about it. their second loss is Arizona yeah. state in November. And they came back from a 31 point deficit to get within three points. Yeah. Like that was, they came fun... out flat in that game, but hey, well, no, look, no, it, no. It, they completed a slant. They can't be flat. I, I, I get that. I mean, I, I guess I get that notion of the question because they went from three three-point wins in the first six games of the year to wins by 15, 10, 28, and 25 in the last four games. Yeah. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't find anything about covering Notre Dame football boring. Um, 2013, so, Tim. Yeah, no, no, I get, okay. not, so no, I get it. I get it. <laughs> I get it. But you still, you still got to go to New York City. I mean – Sit outside. Do I need to share? Do I need? Do I need to share the text of the of the pinstripe? No, bowl? no. Look, I get okay. it. I get it. But I still treasure the stock. My pinstripe bowl stocking hat. That's the best yeah. stocking hat I've ever had. And here we are, eight years later, and it's still in play. Hey, it's better than the college football playoff uh, travel what? bag I tried to pawn off on you. Right? There's no. Yeah, you know, it was boring last year. Just didn't I fit think my was, needs. <laughs> I found not. <laughs> It didn't. It didn't fit I, my. I, <laughs> it didn't fit my work bag needs. I'm sorry. Anyone needs a work bag and they want to remember the college football playoff. I, I, work bag I, for you. I lost mine in the transition from houses, so I had lightly to, used. It, very lightly used. And we're talking about something people have no idea what yes. we're talking about. So let's <laughs> let's end that, and we're going to end this uh, podcast right now. Irish Illustrated Insider. We appreciate you joining us. We'll be back on Thursday to preview Nordane versus Georgia Tech Senior Day in Notre Dame Stadium. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com slash support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics.